Should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. So electrified looks different for everyone. Yup, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, Toyota is electrified diversified. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyond zero. Hey, Catherine. Jim Hamblin. What do you know? Hmm. Uh-oh. <laughs> Sounds like somebody's gone down a rabbit hole since we last spoke. I worry about you in the days in between our conversation. There's so much on the internet, and you don't have a docent anymore, a guide. That's true. I'm, I'm just, I'm free range on Tuesdays and Thursdays, just trawling the internet for information with, with no one to tell me what's what. It, it is a dangerous situation for sure. Yeah. Do you remember Dante's book, The Inferno? <laughs> I've never read it. No. Can't say I've read it. No. No. Okay. Well, <laughs> scrap that then. Um, we got a listener question. Correct. We got a question related to trawling on the internet. Um, so we got a question from a listener named Ashley, and she said, I came across something tonight that I now can't stop thinking about. Naturally, with all things coronavirus, I've been trying my best to keep up with the news. Specifically, I've been trying to let the science cut through the noise. But then tonight, I came across this video and it's haunting me. I'm hoping Jim can offer a perspective. I'm hoping this is fake or taken out of context or something so I can dismiss it and get back to what I thought was me following a leader in science. I'm feeling a bit crushed at the moment. And then she links to a video which has since been taken down, but uh, is called Plandemic. I've been hearing about this, but I have not pursued um, it with any degree of intellectual fervor. I don't know. I bet you've watched it. Well, given that I don't have you to babysit my internet searches anymore, I watched it. Oh, no. And it's a 25-minute video, like, documentary-style I couldn't totally follow what the argument of the documentary was, but it's basically like coronavirus is a hoax. There was mention of the virus being made in a lab. There was mention of Fauci having, like, patents. Mm-hmm. It, it felt like there were a lot of, like, buzzwords, mm-hmm. sort of conspiracy-themed buzzwords. Let me guess. Gates. Soros. Obama. Buffett. Bill Gates was mentioned. Whatever happened to Bing. Suppressed by the government. <laughs> Is that your conspiracy theory? I that Bing that Bing was. I'm a just great I'm just asking questions. Okay, I'm not. I I am just asking questions. You connect the dots. Google big, <laughs> Bing small. <laughs> okay, you're not being helpful. You so. know why I asked you about the Inferno? About Dante's book? Yeah, Dante's little Dante's best book, Libro. Um. He is led into hell by this poet, Virgil, mm-hmm. who's kind of just there with a lantern, leading him through the different levels or circles, as they're called, mm-hmm. and just showing you around. Yeah. Anyway, that's me for you. <laughs> You're the Virgil to my Dante? Uh, yeah. And... We're going through the different levels here. And I feel like some of these, these um, you know, deliberate 
conspiracy theories at a moment when we really, really just need basic information are sort of like the bottom level of hell. Whoever is making those sorts of things and just trying to cause chaos in people who are already really scared and genuinely in peril. Okay, so this pandemic video has gotten a lot of attention, I guess. I do want to address it in earnest. But here's the thing. I don't really know a lot about the origin of this video, but this is why we're going to call Adrian. So... Adrienne LaFrance is the executive editor of The Atlantic. She's also, she's been a tech journalist for a long time, covered science, the internet, conspiracy. And The Atlantic just launched this big project called Shadowland, which is all about conspiracy theories and sort of the American mind. And she has actually written a ton and reported a ton on QAnon. Anyway, Adrienne's going to sort it all out for us because you're you're clearly confused. And I've been roving the internet all alone. Hey, Adrian. Hi. Hey. So, Adrian, first, will you just, for our listeners, will you tell us a little bit about your history of reporting on the internet? Sure. I have written for many, many years about various aspects of the internet, media, information systems, internet culture, conspiracy theories, and all of the kind of ways that those things intersect with one another. It's almost like you were planning for this moment. Mm -hmm. Seems a little too convenient. (laughs) Um, So we want to talk to you about Plandemic. Um, We got a question from a listener who was really, really concerned about it. So first of all, will you just explain what is Plandemic? Plandemic is a video that roared across the internet recently, um, and has since been sort of splintered into various clips and spread across different platforms. And the the concept of the video, it's a conspiracy theory that posits that the secret group of elite world leaders have unleashed the coronavirus on the global population as part of a plot to either enact population control and or force people to get vaccinated when they shouldn't be. Um, I should say for anyone listening that there's no evidence to support any of that. It's a conspiracy theory. Right. So the the theory of pandemic, I don't understand at all. But there are several things in there that are kind of concerning and totally counter to all of the basic safety advice we've been giving on this show. One of the things that's said in there is that wearing a mask actually like recirculates virus into your body and like you could be coughing out coronavirus and then reinfecting yourself for, with a mask on? No, that's incorrect. What about the idea that like staying inside actually weakens your immune system and that you're going to get sicker later, which is a thing that pandemic says? No, no. Well, you you know, overall we are all being a little bit taking a little hit from not being able to get out and be, live our active, healthy, happy social lives. But that is not going to, in the short term, significantly impair your immune system. Right. So it, I mean, I don't know if, how, how widespread is it? Like, I've heard a lot about it. Are a lot of people watching this? Or is it kind of just a fringy thing that very few people have seen? This is a really interesting question because it's really difficult to quantify the reach of these sorts of theories, especially when they tip into the mainstream and capture the attention of 
larger media organizations that then feel compelled to make it clear that this is not in fact true. And so it's clear that it quickly spread across the internet. It's murky to me how many people saw it in communities that are either like QAnon friendly or otherwise fringe communities. And then how many further saw it because it started getting more attention. Yeah. So for the uninitiated, what is QAnon? Like me. <laughs> okay. Kim doesn't really know what QAnon is. Well, I have a story you should read in the Atlantic. <laughs> in the meantime, QAnon is a conspiracy theory. The The basic premise is that Q is this military insider. No, mm-hmm. Nobody knows who for sure Q is. And Q has allegedly has proof that a secret group of world leaders are torturing children and that they're working with the quote unquote deep state to do that. And that Donald Trump is aware of this and working to fight them and that a reckoning of some kind is coming. And Q posts clues on the internet known as Q drops that advances this idea. So it's sort of a real time participatory conspiracy theory that people watch as it happens. Okay. So are, is the pandemic video, which posits that the coronavirus is part of some sort of grand plan, is that directly related to QAnon or we don't know? It's just sort of like QAnon-esque? It's, it's extremely QAnon-esque. I mean, it borrows a lot of the same language, the same sort of narrative structure, if you can mm-hmm. even call it that. Um, it's certainly true that the same people who promote QAnon are now promoting Plandemic, and that Plandemic fits very squarely within the QAnon worldview. But its origins, both for in both cases, the origins are, are murky. Got it. So one of the claims that it's making, which we've heard also about from other people, are that the virus was made in a lab like potentially by the U.S. government along with the Chinese government. Did the virus come from a lab? (laughs) Not to my knowledge, but, you know, this is where, like, in the realm of conspiracy theorizing, when people say, well, I'm just asking questions. I just want to find the truth. I was just doing that before you came (laughs) on the call. It's, yeah, it's a good tactic. Well, and it's, it's interesting because it's premised as a desire to find the truth, but with a total rejection of empiricism. So when you encounter a conspiracy theorist and you present them with facts and they don't fit into this worldview, they'll reject them. But then they'll still say, I'm just, I only want to know the truth. What I'm motivated by is finding the truth. So there's this very sort of brain melting contradiction that I certainly encountered in reporting the QAnon story that I see in the pandemic universe as well. Jim, can I ask you about this idea of the lab The confusing thing about this theory is that whenever I hear it being talked about, it's not like, no, it absolutely didn't come from lab. It's like, we don't have any evidence that it came from a lab, but like, theoretically, it could have. Is there a legitimate question of whether the virus actually originated in a lab? Um, When people say that, they're often saying it with innuendo as though it were deliberately made. They have definitely concluded as best possible as best science can know there's no evidence that this was manufactured by people for deliberate purposes or released in a deliberate way mm-hmm. there is it is impossible to know if there was potentially someone studying this virus in some lab and mm-hmm. it somehow 
was not contained. That does not seem likely. We don't have evidence that that happened. But like so many conspiracy theories, it's just a negative that we don't, we can't prove right now. We can't, right. it's really, really hard to prove that something 100% did not happen. All we can say is there's no evidence to, to right. suggest that. I think Jim's point is really important because it comes down to intent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that innuendo of like, came from a Chinese lab. Like, that sounds like someone dun, did dun, something dun. evil. Um, right. Yeah, so. Yeah, well, I wanted to ask you, Adrian, is it common that kernels of legitimate questions are embedded in conspiracy theories? Absolutely. I mean, I think I would answer it slightly differently. I, on one hand, any question is legitimate, right? And so um, make a worldview sort of all-encompassing enough that it answers or cleanly resolves something that's otherwise inexplicable. And you could see the appeal in that. I think you look at examples of people who claim that you know, terrible events like terrorist attacks or mass shootings didn't happen. And and one could imagine the emotional appeal of sort of explaining away a terrible reality. The interesting thing, though, is when I've talked to people who study conspiracy theories most, they say often that it's not really a desire for coherence or that's not the driving thing that contributes to a propensity to believe uh, in absurdities like this. A desire for coherence maybe part of it, but I, I'm not sure it's the driving part of it. That's interesting. I had always thought that, I mean, uh, Jim and I have spent two months now talking about how legitimately confusing this whole thing is and how it doesn't feel like our federal government is being super competent or transparent. Um, I mean, I have the same questions. I'm like, what is going on? I understand the emotional need for an answer. And how frustrating totally. it is to not have it. Totally. Although I guess I would go back to the point about intent and whether just total incompetence is a sufficient answer to why something's going wrong versus malicious sort of totally. secretive corruption and, right. and a level of conspiring that is pretty much impossible. I mean, right. Well, to, to ask you practically, do conspiracy theories like QAnon or the pandemic have consequences? Why do they matter? Well, they matter because they represent a mass rejection of reason and enlightenment values and empiricism and discount the scientific method. I mean, all of the ways we've learned to understand our world that have led to the most important discoveries in modern science and philosophy. And, you know, it, it's, it's a rejection of reality. And if we can't agree on a common set of facts that make up the world we share, people do really dangerous things. Like what? Like, can you talk us through maybe some, I, I don't know if the pandemic has had any specific effects yet. Right. So there are lots of examples. I mean, I, I, I'll say for pandemic, just the extent to which it's challenging science and the efficacy of vaccines is extraordinarily dangerous because people will decide not to get vaccinated or get their children vaccinated. And that presents a, a very real public health threat. So that's that's pretty clear. On Q, I mean, one of the, the examples that people might remember is what is often referred to as Pizzagate 
And Pizzagate was a precursor to QAnon that shares a lot of the same sort of core beliefs about the secret cabal of elite, high-profile politicians, celebrities, CEOs, abusing children ritualistically. And there was a case where someone who had been really drawn into this conspiracy theory drove from his house in North Carolina up to Washington, D.C., and took weapons into a local pizza shop on a, you know, normal weekend day, ready to to uncover what he thought was this secret child abuse ring. Of course, he didn't find it because it didn't exist. But in the course of being there where, you know, families and kids were sitting there eating pizza, he did fire his weapon. No one was hurt. But that's obviously a, a very frightening outcome. Um, apart from like order, obviously, we all want order. We all want answers. I try to provide them to Catherine. I can't often. <laughs> It's much nicer to have things wrapped up in a nice little package, but this is not even a nice little package. It's like it doesn't provide a plausible motive. It doesn't it's it makes less sense than what I'm hearing on the news. And the, and like it's um what what do you think is drawing people to things like this? Yeah, so I'll speak to that with QAnon specifically because when I set out to report this story, that was exactly my question. Like, who is believing this and why? Like, why would this be the thing that you get drawn into? Mm -hmm. And the thing that I found that was really interesting, the more I reported, the more I talked to the sort of true believers, the thing that I kept hearing again and again was this this language that really sort of borrows from an, an end times worldview. So there's a lot of sort of like, picking apart the book of Revelation and talking about a battle between good and evil and really casting Donald Trump as a savior. Hmm. I mean, there is this just very strong spiritual aspect of it that I, I wasn't aware of before I started following it really closely. Huh. What, what, do, do you have a solution? <laughs> <laughs> Journalism, I hope, will help a little. Um, yeah, I know it's a really it's a the right question to ask is what do we do about all of this? And it's tricky because especially for individuals, I think for the people who see their loved ones sharing stuff that is so patently absurd and dangerous and we know that just confronting someone, I mean this has come up a lot in the the anti-vax movement is you can't just tell someone how ridiculous they're being and expect them to then trust you more. <laughs> no, right. They do, people don't like that. They don't right. like that. We, we actually got a, a listener, a question from a listener about this. Someone wrote us and said, my mom believes scientific propaganda without vetting the source or doing more research. It's easier and juicier for people to read the short non-science stuff than the science stuff. Um, in response to my attempts to send journalism to my mom, such as from The Atlantic, mom texts, quote, the media needs to shut down and then 80% of the world's problems would be gone. They take so many things said out of context and then there are two pink heart emojis. <laughs> In classic mom fashion. Right. And then she, she, she says her mom is sending her Dr. Oz clips. Um, she's sending, you know, sort of stories about how you know, the flu shot is actually making, makes you get coronavirus, you know, a lot of these kinds of things. And she's wondering uh, how to talk to her mom. Right. Well, so one fascinating thing that occurred in the course of my reporting is I talked to 
Joseph Yusinski, who's a professor of political science and has been studying conspiracy theories for ages. And as someone I've talked to many times over the years, um, I, I talked to him over the course of my reporting and it sort of came up in one of our conversations that his mom had started believing in Q, which I found fascinating because if you're... So he's son, like a conspiracy theory expert. Exactly. And his mom and, believes in Q. Yes. And I, and I talked to both of them and they're sort of, they understand that their worldviews are at odds. They don't try to convince each other. They're sort of matter of fact about it. But that to me, like if even your, your conspiracy theory expert son can't convince you, then how are the rest of us supposed to do it? I, I, I do think, I mean, I think it's on all of us to be disciplined in how we share information and vet the things that we encounter. And certainly, obviously, as journalists, but even just as humans with tremendous publishing power on the internet, which every person with an internet connection has. I also, and this is in part because I'm a a former tech and media reporter and have thought a lot about platforms like Facebook and YouTube. And I think that platforms have a a much bigger role to play in making sure that the informational environment is not harmful to all of us. Right. This does just seem like an an incredibly high stakes moment to have conspiracy theories floating around right now. I mean, individual people might have certain beliefs about chemtrails or something, but right now beliefs about the virus and about, you know, its dangers are, they affect everyone so urgently that um right it's just it's right. really helpful to have have reporting like yours and i'm so glad we're doing this project and helping people consider the basics of belief i'm really glad to and thank you for saying that thank you adrian thanks for having me sorry i can't solve all of the problems that conspiracy theories have wrought on our lives but i think i think it'll get better I mean, probably it'll get worse before it gets better, but I think it'll get better. Why do you think that? Because I'm an optimist. I I think it'll get worse. Oh, no. Hmm. Anyway, (laughs) thank you for talking to us. Thanks for having me. This was fun. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye. Do you have any tips for our listeners on sort of how to evaluate all of this confusing information yeah. about coronavirus and how to talk to friends and family who are also trying to grapple with this. There are just genuine, even from, you know, legitimate sources, there's a lot of conflicting information. There's so much we don't know. Right. How, how, what is the rubric for trying to figure out what's real? Right. I think of it like this. If you see a family member sitting there eating a cinnamon bun, and you go up to them and you're like, what? That is loaded with sugar and has no micronutrients and no fiber. What are you doing? And that's just going to give you diabetes. You know, you could be totally right. And even if you said it in a friendly, nice way, like, hey, I'd like to have a talk with you. What you're actually missing is that that person was eating it because it was delicious and they had enjoyed baking it. Mm-hmm. And you were... And you could be both completely right, and you were just coming at it for different reasons. Mm-hmm. And you can't actually have a conversation until you're on the same page. So are you saying, like, identify where the person is coming from before yeah. you... 
and realize that we all do that sometimes. You know, even the <laughs> nutrition buffs are sometimes just eating a cinnamon bun because they want the taste. And yeah, um, it, it's so start not with that compassion. Hard. Start with some compassion <laughs> yeah, before I guess. trying to t- talk the person into. But what about? What if the actual analogy is like the nutrition label tells me that the the cinnamon roll is full of all these bad things, but like I read this thing on the internet that said they're actually great for you, and mm-hmm. the nutrition labels are applied by the government to keep you from something that's good for you. I think you can still see in that person a person who wants to convince themselves that they can eat cinnamon buns, <laughs> um, and take it from there, and just realize that they've convinced they're going to believe that they get to eat the cinnamon bun, no matter how strong your argument is. So you're not. That's not something you can win. There. Start with compassion. Start with an understanding of where that person is coming from. And also acknowledge that this is a really confusing situation. It is hard. Yeah. But it's really important to our own health and everyone around us to try to figure out what information is trustworthy and not. And if a video is telling you that wearing masks actually increases your risk of infection or that staying inside is somehow increasing your chance of getting a case later... That's dangerous to you, and what you can start with is concern for the person. And also, people keep describing, like, I want to have this conversation. Like, how many times in your life have you changed someone's mind in one conversation? Like, this is probably <laughs> years of a series of a long, probing, like, questions and answers with people who are really close to you and trust you. And not, yeah. like, people who you think are going to change their mind with a paragraph-long Facebook post. Right. You're not going to win this argument on Facebook. Oh, I love Facebook. So much fun. Do you really? It's just a joy every time I go on there. Okay. I understand where I'm trying to understand where you're coming from. Trying to see your perspective, Mm, you know, and sympathize with where your need for social validation might be coming from. Even though I recognize that Facebook is bad for you. (laughs) Okay. Um, this show was produced today by Alvin Mellis with help from Anna Waters and Jacqueline Landry. Check out the, the Shadowland Project on theatlantic.com. Uh, many stories about conspiracy theories and sort of uh, why and how they are so prevalent in our culture. You can also, if you want to support that project, this podcast, and get access to all of the journalism at The Atlantic, you can do that with a subscription. You can do that at theatlantic.com slash Slash support us. Slash slash? No, I just uh, kind of choked a little. Oh. Um, all right. Have a good weekend. Yeah, you too. So, should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. Yes, we could go all electric with a Toyota BZ4X, but then there are hybrids like Grand Highlander. Or we could do something in between, like a RAV4 plug-in hybrid. So Toyota is electrified diversified? Yep, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, the closer we all get to Toyota's Beyond Zero vision for the future. Exactly how much coffee have you had this morning? Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero.